Greetings in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Appreciate all that was already shared this morning in the devotional and the example that we can take from Jesus and how that when the enemy came that he was, he took the, the word and used that as his defense, his weapon, and therefore he was victory, he found victory. And yeah, I think that's an example that all of us need to take and realize that there is power in the word. I come to you with a question this morning, for what is your life? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Running the race. How many of you today feel like you're running a race? Does your life feel like it's a race? You know, when I talk to younger people, they oftentimes make comments about they can't believe it's already March or that that many years have gone by. And I think as we look at the Bible, it says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Our life is short. We're running a race. And it tells us to run with patience the race that is set before us. Run with endurance. It goes on to say, looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. And the Christian life is a race. There is a beginning and there is an end. And I trust that each of us here this morning are in the middle of that race. Maybe toward the end, maybe at the beginning. It begins when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. At the new birth, the race begins. And I think our, I can, I can testify that when the race begins, I think of the, the, the pictures that maybe we're used to see in school of the, the sprinter with his arms like this and his feet off the ground. You're running that race and you're, you're full speed ahead. So excited for the Lord. Wanting to do all that you can for your master. And there's an end to the race. Someday Jesus will return or we will take our last breath. And this race will be over. Are we running this race with patience that is set before us? You know, when we begin that race, we go a new direction. When we repent, we change where we are headed to where we're now going. It's a new life. It says, behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. And at times in this race, we get weary. I think this is what we're looking at here this morning. It says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. 
when we get weary. This race is not a 100-yard dash, a 500-yard sprint. When you see the, the stickers on the back of people's windows that say 13-1 or 26-2, and I guess as, as I, I wondered what that meant, I finally figured out that's a marathon. It's a long race. 13.1 is a half a marathon, I think, and 26.2 is, is a full marathon, if, I, if I'm getting that right. Maybe I'm off on my numbers. That's the best I can remember. But he's going to give us some instructions today, and I would like to take instructions from the Word of God on how to run the race. What's the first thing that we see in Hebrews 12? It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Lay aside every weight. Everything that's a hindrance in my walk with God. Everything that holds me back. I guess my mind went to when we go to the boundary waters and, and we, we pack everything that we need for one week in a five-gallon bucket or two. And you really consider the things that you need. You don't want to take extra weight with you. Because extra weight will just bog you down. And my thoughts went to that cast iron frying pan. It's heavy. And you know, you look at that and you think, I really don't need that. But still you do, in order to fix your meals. So you put that in the bucket. But there's other things that you might not need. You need a water filter. You need some flour and oil. But you might not need your Pepsi. And other things that you usually think is necessary in this life. To lay aside every weight, those things that would hinder us in our walk with God. What is that weight this morning? Is there a weight that I'm carrying? Is there something in my backpack, in my suitcase, that is not necessary? Let's consider that. The next thing, the second thing is, and the sin which does so easily beset us. There's nothing heavier or weightier than sin, unconfessed sin in our life. I believe that we can, we can all testify to that. I think of the words of David. It says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night the hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Sin is a weight. It's a hindrance. But he says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. That's what it says in the Bible, in God's word, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to have the weight of sin in our life. I want to keep reading. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. I want to keep reading. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? <clears throat> but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we, we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sowed his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. <clears throat> so I think the rest of these, these few verses here are talking about when God brings trials and tribulations and obstacles and sufferings into our life. Things that might make us weary. Things that are meant for our good and for his glory. What do we do? We keep looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We keep looking into Jesus. That's what it says in verse 2. Look at Jesus' example. And then it says, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Do we consider Jesus and his sufferings compared to our light afflictions? But there's a third thing in this that I would like to look at, and that's in verse 12. It may be a little bit different than, than the first two. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And that's a song. Just trying to, trying to think of it. It's something about put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And then it goes on to say, lift up the hands that hang down. If, I, if, if my memory is correct. But it's also a command. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Turn with me to Exodus 17. And I believe that this lifting up the hands that hang down could be speaking to herself, but I would like to, to think of it in a different way than, than our, just ourselves, but others around us. This is a familiar story that we've probably all heard and known since we were young. It's a story of Moses. It says, 
In Exodus 17, verse 8, this is a literal, literal happening in the history of the children of Israel. It says, that Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses. Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and they called the name of it Jehovah. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And as we picture in our mind, I think right before this, there was the children of Israel were, were up against a, a trial. They didn't have any water. They were out of water, and, and God spoke to Moses, and he told him what to do. And he, he says, Thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall some water, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And that's, this is leading up to this story. But now they have a different dilemma. They're not out of water, but they have a group of, of robbers or thugs that are, that are out to rob them and destroy them. And they're called the Amalek. So Moses tells Joshua, go choose out the men. And we'll fight against them. So that's what Joshua did, and he, he gathered up his men, and, you know, we see the picture books in, in, in the pictures of, of Moses and Aaron and her standing at the top of the hill, and I believe that's what he did. He went to the top of the hill, and it says, while that battle went on, when Moses had his arms lifted, they prevailed. Israel prevailed, but whenever Moses put his arms down, the Amaleks prevailed. And Aaron and her, I think, took note of this. And they saw this was a place where they could, they could help. And so they, they brought a rock for Moses to sit on because they wanted to win this battle. And then they took Moses' arms and they held him up. And when they held him up, they won the victory. They saw where they could make a difference. Not through their strength, but through God's strength. And I don't know that I understand all that took place here. I believe Moses had his rod in his hand and his arms were lifted, I believe with open palms, surrendering to God and allowing him to fight the battle. And through that, the victory was won.
Lift up the hands that hang down. Am I busy lifting up the hands that hang down? Is there opportunities for me to lift up the hands that hang down? Can we make a difference in another person's life? You know, I recently heard of a man that was very sick in the hospital. And his brother told me whenever his wife was there, he would get better. He would gain. But when his wife would leave, it would get worse. I think of another time when a, a friend of mine was in the hospital with COVID. And he kept getting worse and worse and worse. And his wife was not allowed to be in there with him. And finally, she was able to go in and be with him. And he kept getting better and better and better. Lift up the hands that hang down. Is that something that we still have an opportunity today to do today? First Samuel 23. Another instance, and there's there's a lot of lot of these throughout the Bible. Samuel 23 verse 16 and here we have David fleeing from Saul running for his life exhausted we'll, we'll read starting at 16 it says and Jonathan Saul's son rose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God and he said to him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul, my father, knoweth. And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Here we see Jonathan coming to the aid of his friend David. And it says he strengthened his hand in God. He lifted up his hand. He helped him in his time of need. It took some effort. We see, and Jonathan Saul's son arose. He wasn't just sitting there, but he arose and he went, it says. And I think he found David. And he spoke to him. Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel. Now shall be next unto you, and that also Saul, my father, knoweth. In Proverbs, it says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. I think he, he spoke a word of life to David. And by doing that, he lifted up his hands. And David was able to keep going. Are we willing to lift up the hands of those that need help? Galatians 6.2 says it like this. 
6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And it goes on to say, bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens. And I see that printed out on maybe envelopes and different signs. Bear you one another's burdens. What does that mean? What is a burden? It's an extra heavy load is one definition. And that could be sickness. That could be sorrow. That could be suffering. Can we share that load? Can we share that burden with our brothers and sisters? Can we help them to see that they're not alone? Can we be there to help them carry that burden to make it to the other side? And how can we do that? I already was talking about the words that Jonathan said. He said, fear not. The Ephesians says it like this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Another place it, it talks about that your words be seasoned with, with salt. So we can bear one another's burden by speaking words of life. We can bear one another's burdens by weeping that with them that weep. I think we heard we heard that last Sunday. says let love be without dissimulation abhor that which is evil cleave to that which is good be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another not slothful business fervent spirit serving the lord rejoicing in hope patient tribulation continuing instant prayer distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality bless them which persecute you bless and curse not rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Bear you one another's burdens. How can we lift the hands of those that are suffering? And I think in our, in our, our heritage, you know, we have been, we've been taught, maybe we're losing this, but when someone suffers a loss, when a fire strikes, when a tornado strikes, we go to bear that burden with our brother, with our neighbor. And I believe that's right. I believe that's what God wants us to do, to lift up the hands. Different times I can think of, we go maybe out of state or to another community, and people are just completely flabbergasted. Why are you here? Why are you here? Are we there to bear their burdens with them? To lift up their hands in their time of need? We can pray for one another. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Pray for one another. 
When is the right time for praying for one another? I don't think it's ever out of season. When someone asks for prayer, I think it's good to, to pray right, right there. How else can we lift up the hand? In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And other translations would say to encourage one another. To edify one another is to build, build them up. A little bit further down, he would say, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, and comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak, and be patient toward all men. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. How are we doing in these things? Comfort the feeble-minded. If we jump over to Hebrews 13, it would give us a few verses there that says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. If we take those three verses and apply them to our lives and busy ourselves this week with that, what would the world look like? Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Be hospitable. Do we have open doors at our homes where visitors are welcome? I think back of our grandparents and, you know, they didn't have a cell phone or they didn't have a phone. When somebody wanted to come visit, you just went. It could have been on Tuesday afternoon at 11 o'clock. It could have been on Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning. What was common practice back then? In the old days, when somebody just dropped by, would you fix a meal for them? And offer them to come inside and eat. I believe that's right. I believe that's biblical. We can read of stories in the Bible. It says, For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Maybe that person is struggling. Maybe that person needs a word of life. Maybe he comes to lift up our hands. It works both ways. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. In verse 13 in Hebrews 12, it says, Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. I don't know if I have a lot to say about that, but when you're running a race, you want to go straight. You don't want to go around a lot of curves. What does he say about our race in verse 14? It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. How important is peace 
in order to run our race. It's listed right there with holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. You can read in Romans it says, Recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Who is a wise man and do with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And it says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. What did Jesus say about peace? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we've been talking about different men lifting up hands. I don't want to leave the women out. In 2 Kings, we read an example of a, of a lady... And I think uh, a perfect example of lifting up the hands of those that are weary. And it's the Shunammite woman. And we don't know her name. But in 2 Kings 4 verse 8 it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha came to Shunam, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned into the deep bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is the holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn it thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber, and lay there. And he said unto Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto her, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is it to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king, or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. We won't keep reading there, but there's one word that I want to look at in this account. And it's in verse 9. I think it's very important for all of us. It says, And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive. I think for any of us to be able to lift up the hands of those that need help, we're going to have to have some perception. We're going to have to take the focus off of ourselves and place, place it on others. There's a little kid song that we sing about J-O-Y. Jesus first, 
yourself last and others in between. We learn that as a little child, but do we apply it when we become adults? In 2 Timothy, I'm going to look at one more, one more example yet. 2 Timothy 1. verse we'll start reading in 15 I don't even know if I can pronounce this guy's name right but this thou knowest 2 Timothy 1 verse 15 this thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are Figulus and Hermenius the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and how many things he ministered to me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Here's this Onesiphorus who often refreshed Paul. Am I a refresher? What, what do you think of when you think of refreshing? Maybe it's a cup of cold water on a hot day. Maybe it's a word that's fitly spoken. But here this Onesiphorus, he didn't just one time do it, but he often refreshed me. Now, we see the two guys in verse 15 that turned away from Paul. And then we have the opposite, Nesperus, who came and he was not ashamed of his chain. I believe Paul was in prison. And he came, and I don't know what he did for him there, but he refreshed him. I think he gave him a word of encouragement. He lifted up his hands while he was in prison. He says he sought me out very diligently and found me. And I think that's what it takes is diligence. We can't half-heartedly not being perceptive of the needs around us and the, the lies around us go about and expect to lift up the hands that are hanging down. liberal soul shall be made fat and he that watereth shall be watered also himself that's in Proverbs eleven twenty five. are we willing to invest in others lives to make a difference in Galatians I want to close with verse there Maybe I'll read a couple verses. Let him that is taught in the word communicate to him that teaches in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting. 
And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now Paul puts special emphasis on something here. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I think of a guy that I work with, and I've, I've shared this before, and I guess it's taught me something, and I've not always did well with it, but when his phone rings, he says, another opportunity, another opportunity. And you and I know when our phone rings, it's probably somebody in need. It's somebody wanting something or needing something. But do we look at him as an opportunity? To do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So are we quick to help those in the household of faith, in the church? My mind this morning went to a, an individual that I was working for, and maybe I shouldn't even share this story. This was an outsider, and he had a Mennonite business owner that lived, or that had his business right beside him. And he told me that anything we need, he will allow us to use. Anything we need is ours to get. I thought, that sounds pretty good. That's a good testimony. But one day, as he was there and I was standing by his side, he called him to ask him for something. And that day, it wasn't available. And I wondered, what made the difference? What made the difference? As we, therefore, have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. Maybe we're quick to help strangers. Maybe we're quick to help somebody else. What about those in the household of faith? Our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we draw a line there? Am I a refresher? Am I an encourager in the way that Barnabas was? My question this morning is, are there any Aaron's? Are there any Hurs? Are there any Shunammite women? Any Jonathan's? Anasipurthers? Barnabas's? Here today? Do we consider Jesus and his example? Do we see every person as an opportunity to be Christ's hands and feet? Can we or will we try to lift up the hands that are hanging down? It may be our hands that need to be lifted. What does the golden rule say? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Let's kneel before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this opportunity we have together in your house. Lord, we thank you for the, the many uh, blessings and for your love to us example to us. That you endured the cross. You despised the shame in order that we could have life and have it more abundantly. We thank you for giving us the example that you were full of compassion. I believe that you was willing to, to help those in need. You 
willing to lift up the hands of those that were struggling and support the weak. Lord, I pray that for us today, that you would forgive us for the many times that we have not lifted up the hands of the homeless or the homebound. Lord, as we go out this coming week and from here on, that you would help us to perceive the need around us, the opportunities around us. Help us to make good on those. Pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we could be a light for you, that we could make a difference in the kingdom you place us in. We thank you, we praise you. We pray for those who couldn't be here, and we pray for each one individually. We just continue to guide and lead us, keep us in your care.